ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And we're going to start off this show a little differently than we have most other shows recently. We're going to start off with men's basketball. And that's not because, Brett, as you and everyone who's listening knows, the team is playing great all of a sudden. When last week's show, we're talking about how, hey, they're playing well despite the self-imposed postseason ban. Then they hosted the L.A. schools. It did not go particularly well pair of losses to USC and UCLA, both of them were rated better than Arizona. Like, they were tougher teams than Arizona's played. Both had, I would say, fairly convincing wins over the Wildcats in Tucson. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it was the first time that the L.A. schools had swept the Arizona schools in Arizona in, like, ever. Yeah, way to go, (laughs) ASU. He really dropped the ball. Um, <laughs> though to be fair, like I, you know, I think USC was preseason ranked by you know you know how I feel about preseason rankings and polls, but they were preseason ranked around where Arizona's expectations were, and both have se- have seemingly exceeded expectations so far. Um, you know, I think when you watch that game, it's it was readily apparent why Evan Mobley is like a t- consensus top three NBA draft what a stud. Like he, he's, he's good <laughs> and he's, he's big. Um, so there's not, it, in my mind, there's not necessarily shame in either loss inherently, but there were some trends that I saw in both games, uh, that are a little bit concerning. You know, I think in the USC game, the Arizona guards were just, you know, couldn't make a shot. Dreadful. Save their life. Just dreadful. Um, and then Akinjo, at least, was offensively much better against UCLA, who's also a fairly talented team in, in a very mediocre Pac-12. Uh, I think I tweeted from the Wildcat Radio 2.0 handle, though, that my hot take was Arizona's guards were have been worse defensively than they have been offensively, even when they were not shooting well. Um, the thing that most concerned me, like I remember watching some of the highlights that they were doing in-game in the, US, in the UCLA game, and watching all the times where UCLA was getting, you know, going on runs, there were a couple of guards, specifically James Akinjo, who were repeatedly getting beat by their man on ball. And if you cannot have effective on-ball defense, or at least slow them down to stop some penetration without having everybody help, you know, that's you're not going to win games. And I think we've seen for stretches uh, of the season. I think we saw this for stretches in the USC game effective defense on the perimeter. But to me, that was, you know, if the USC game was the guards failing on offense, um, the the UCLA game was the guards failing on defense. And I would almost contend that they were, that's the more concerning factor. You know, eventually shots will fall if you're taking good shots. Um, and I have faith in James Akinjo. You know, I had faith in Jamal Baker, though he hasn't been the player since he got hurt the first time, and now he's done for the season. And we'll get into that, yeah. Him which is going to cause some implications, but you know, 
the losses themselves don't inherently concern me. How they lost mildly concerns me. Is that You know fair? what's weird about that, though, is <laughs> I don't – this is, I guess, the beauty of a team that will not be playing in the postseason that we know that now is that it's hard to be that upset over this. Like, yes, you're watching because you want to see James Akinjo look good, look like a point guard who can lead you next season you know, deep into the tournament. You want to see guys like Jamal Baker prove that they're, you know, Jordan Brown and Dalen Terry. You want to see them play well, and we talked about that last week. Them playing well now, yeah, they're not going to go to the tournament, but, man, if they could contend for the Pac-12 title, Pac-12 championship, well, you'd have going into next season, you'd feel really, really good about that. But, like, yeah, what you're saying is obviously right about these games. In the first game against USC, Azulis Tabellis was good offensively. He was great offensively, 31 points. Like, he's really coming into his own. No one else was. Like, no one else really stepped up offensively, and that's why you lose. And Sean Miller said he thought his team kind of gave up in the second half, which, yeah, I mean, they were down one at halftime, and they lost the game by 14. Like, that one got away from them pretty easily in the second half, and they did not fight back. UCLA, they did play. They were in that game. Like, it was a competitive game the whole way. Like, UCLA had a stretch their lead in the second half. Arizona fought back, made it a game, but it didn't have enough stops, to your point. Like, the defense wasn't very good. Now, UCLA is a more talented team than Arizona, probably more experienced for sure. But like it's normally you'd, I'd watch these games and be like, oh, geez, like what if they're not that good? The tournament, I'm like, not this time. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine. It's a learning experience. They're growing. <laughs> you know, they're not there yet, and it's okay. And that's not the attitude that Sean Miller wants a team to have, of course. It's not the attitude that anyone wants Arizona basketball to have. Is that okay? Well, it doesn't matter if you lose the game as long as you're trying hard and getting better. Like that's not that's not how this works. We know that. But there were certain good things. We're like, okay, Akinjo did bounce back against UCLA, at least offensively. Tabulis, Azulis Tabulis kept his Tubelis. I don't know why I said Tabulis. It just sounds easier. Azulis Tabulis just rolls off the tongue, <laughs> and it's incorrect. But, you know, he played well again. Like, he's really come into his own to be a steady force down low. Like, you see the varied skill set he has. So there are certain things to like, and offensively there's a lot more to like about the UCLA game than the USC game. But certainly to your point, like, the defense was so bad against UCLA where it's like, well, yeah, you scored a lot of points, but it doesn't matter if you can't stop anybody. Yeah, I, I interestingly pulled up the stats for both games. Uh, That's a good idea. Leading, it's called show prep. The, the, the leading scorer, you know, I, as much as I just, you know, gave a glowing review of Evan Mobley, he was not the leading scorer for USC in that game. It was Isaiah Whiteside with 22 points on 7, and t- seven of 10 shooting. Against UCLA, the leading scorer was Tiger Campbell with 22 points on 7 of 10 shooting. Yeah, There seems to be a trend there, and it's not the post guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> granted, Tiger Campbell's you know, more of a true point guard than, than and Isaiah White's more of a perimeter guy, but it's it's con- that defensive lapse or the, the prevalence of them was concerning. You know, Evan Mobley, you're not going to have an answer for. No, you will. Um, but boy, if you're giving up that, you know... Sometimes you run into a uh, a team that's just really hot and shooting well. I mean, USC shot 75% in the second half, 30, 21 to 28. It was you know, ridiculous. You, you know, UCLA was 15 to 25 in the first half, 49% overall for the game, 24 to 49. 49% from the field is not probably winning basketball, especially if, you know, they're shooting 46% from three. Some of that is luck, but if you're an uncontested, mm-hmm. you know, you're shooting the the shooting percentage of the average D1 college basketball player goes dramatically up if it's uncontested. Well, right? and the free throws too. Arizona was UCLA made 27 of 32. Arizona was 12 of 16. 
you know, and I, I'm not, I don't remember watching that game. I don't think the officiating was all that bad. I, I'm not trying to say that, you know, they lost because the refs were terrible and the three throws were so lopsided because, no, that's not why. But this is how you lose games. You know, when you foul that off, when you put guys at the line like that, I mean, that's 27 of 32. That's a lot of free throws. That's 15 more points at the free throw line, 15 more points out of 16 more free throws. Uh, and you lost by five. So that's another thing well, you could point to. Not the thing, but it's another yeah. thing you can point to. So I, I agree that – so I would say that I could disagree with the quality of the officiating in that UCLA game, but I don't think that was the deciding factor in the game, right? Um, and I think <laughs> – I mean, I can highly criticize the number of – like rebound foul calls that were highly questionable sure that ends up sure. putting people into the bonus early which has you know butterfly effect of of slowing down the game and giving one team a lot of you know, it, it, you understand where i'm going with all yeah, the yeah. additional impacts but also like the fact that u of a was not getting nearly as many free throws as ucla to me also tells how they were attacking ucla offensively right but where, where does um, this go because like Obviously, Arizona loses these two games, and they're not going to the tournament no matter what. They fall to 9-3. and three. They're 3-3 three and three in the conference. We had hoped that they would be a team that could contend for the Pac-12. And judging by the last week, that's not the case. They might be in the middle of the pack, which is where they were predicted to be and wouldn't be the end of the world if that's where they end up. You know? But we had given Sean Miller a lot of credit last week for keeping this team together despite everything that's been going on. And at least for one week, that doesn't seem to have worked. Since then, we learned that Jamal Baker has an injury. He is going to be out for the rest of the season. Wrist. Broken wrist, yeah. So, like, that's that's not good. <laughs> it's not like a normal U of A season where a key guy gets hurt and you're like, oh, geez, like, here they go again. But, like, that's... Hey, you sounded way too Wisconsin there with that, oh, geez. Well, doesn't that track? Like... I mean, let's let's be honest here. Like it doesn't have that feel, but for the things that we wanted to see out of Arizona this season, even after knowing that they're not going to the play like to the postseason, that they're not gonna play after they play ASU on March sixth. Like knowing that last week the losses to the LA schools were not an indication that was not what we wanted to see. You know, that wasn't a you can build off of these games type of losses. You could have a competitive loss, that happens. Like, and especially for a team that's not as talented, which was someone's probably not as talented as the teams they played last week, you can have competitive losses and feel okay about that as a fan. Maybe not as a coach, but as a fan. They didn't have that last week. So the question is where they go from here and what we're hoping to see from them. And the answer for me is what we're hoping to see hasn't changed, but where they go, especially with Jamal Baker, who was arguably their best player for a stretch just two weeks ago, you know, Without him, as the lineup changes, where do they go? I'm curious. So I think the Jamal Baker injury overlays an interesting wrinkle into that question and answer in my mind. Because I think the last two games, to me, kind of revealed a need for maybe a potential shuffling of the lineup. You know, Ben Matherin, Ben, as we... As his friends call him. You realize his last name isn't that complicated either. I don't know why well, we, we, we just, made that one more complicated. We just didn't know at the time. Yeah. We didn't know where the accent was. <laughs> I mean, when you're when Ben is short for Benedict. Which is still not assume, difficult to say. Well, but 
when your first name is Benedict, you assume that the last name may have a complicated pronunciation. That's fair. Um, you know, he his development, I think, has been a re- revelation for the team. And his outside shooting, I think, has far exceeded most people's hopes and expectations to the point where, despite some of his rawness, you've already seen in-season development for him as an offensive threat. The three-point shots raw, really coming around. Yeah. And even his ability to attack and willingness to attack, because sometimes that's been a problem with some Sean Miller teams. You know, sometimes that can he can make poor decisions, but basically, I think the consensus is he needs more minutes, right? But then, how do you how do you balance that against? You know, were you going to bench Jamal Baker? Dalen Terry's been a very effective guy. Terrell Brown has, I think, also exceeded expectations. So maybe there's an opportunity to kind of mix things up. Uh, on the perimeter in terms of the lineup and make sure you have you have the right pairings of skill sets with the starters and the key reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, you know, we're only, what, four games removed from Kara Carissa's, uh eligibility. In is that February. the case? Is it only a it, case? Which day in February is it? Because there's only four games left in January at this point. Uh, my <laughs> Yeah, his oh, his first game I think was February sixth. So that would be Colorado. So that would be be five games away. So Kirk Carissa can come uh, vanquish the ghost of Sabatino Chen in Colorado (laughs) at Boulder. Um, So I think there's an opportunity to kind of reevaluate and regroup after those two losses. Uh, You know, you're gonna you're gonna go face Oregon State, assuming no. COVID cancellations, right? In the next, in the next, in this week. And then you have Arizona state next week, which will be a challenge for the young guards, but you would like to think that that's a good opportunity for our bigs. And, uh, Tubelis has been also a revelation. So if you get your lineups, right. Uh, and, and when you're not worried about the postseason, you can more worry about developing that right kind of, you know, development and toy with well lineups and pairings. Um, so I think it's going to be an interesting few weeks. And the losses combined with Jamal Baker's injury, we're going to allow for that. So I'm really curious to see that. Yeah, and that's it's it's become such a strange season. It was always going to be a weird season with the cancellations and the type of roster this was, the makeup of this roster with so many new faces, so many guys that we didn't know what to expect. You know, here we are. They're a little ways in the season. We have a better idea of who this roster is. They're 12 games in. But even then, we're starting to see some trends. Like, Azulis Tubelis is good. Like, he was really highly rated. Like, we can see why. The skill set is off the charts. Akinjo is talented. A little inconsistent, but very talented. You can see that. Jordan Brown, I think Ronnie last week said he's more like, reminds me of Chase Jeter, which you can kind of see that, where he's a solid player. Is he a go-to guy? Doesn't necessarily seem to be that, at least on this roster. And then, of course, Ben, a freshman, Dalen Terry, a freshman. They've each shown some flashes, but they're raw. Coloco, we could talk about him, his last few games. He's actually starting to dunk the ball with authority, which is nice, because doing anything other than dunking the ball is an adventure on offense with him. So well, he, he can dunk the ball from half court, so why the hell is he not doing that every time? <laughs> and, of course, like Terrell Brown has been really, really good, especially off the bench. I'm not sure if they move him to the starting lineup because he's been a good spark plug off the bench. And then Ira Lee is Ira Lee. Uh, so it's, 
it's still a team that I like watching. Like they're fun to watch. Even last week when they were losing those games against the LA schools, I I was because they're growing and you feel like that's the case where it's the beginning of something, but this team seems to like playing with each other. And if they can keep that up for the rest of the year, knowing that there's not a postseason, then that'll mean something. It'll be something you can build off of for sure. Depending, no matter who comes back next season, what they're bringing in, some pretty decent players. But the shuffling of the lineup, it will be interesting to see, does Ben move into the starting lineup? And now you're having him and Dalen Terry, a couple of raw freshmen in your starting lineup. They've started freshmen before, but they're not, they're usually five-star freshmen who are one-and-done freshmen. These guys aren't that. Do you move Terrell Brown, who's been a good bench player for you into that line? There's a lot to deal with, of course, with the safety net of the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I say that like it does matter for the players. They're trying to play for their potential future careers, and you know they're putting this on tape, and they care, and I want them to care. But as Chad Miller is playing with this and experimenting, he can. I don't think he does. It doesn't seem like it's his nature. Like he's going to care about the game he's playing that day. You know, I don't think he's looking towards next season right now. But there are certain things he can discover with this team in different lineups, and it'll help when Kirk Carissa comes back or is eligible to play where he can be like, okay, well, what's this team? What do I have here going forward? So if there was ever a year to experiment, especially now with Jamal Baker being out too, who is one of your veterans on a team that doesn't have a lot of veterans, this is not a bad time to play around and just see what you have. You know, and that'll lead to some wins because there's talent on this roster. And when I say they weren't as talented as USC or UCLA, that's not me trying to knock Arizona. You know, they're not a bottom third team in the Pac-12. They're a top half of the Pac-12 type of team. But they're still figuring out who they are. And when you have an injury like this to a starter, it's going to reshuffle a lot like you were saying. And how those roles change and how they adapt and adjust to those roles, that'll be interesting to see. Well, think back. You know, it's only, what, 12, or what, 12 games in? Think back to the first two or three. How, how much more confident are you in Ben Matherin and Azulis Tabellas today than you were those first three Way games. more confident. Like, those guys are productive now. <laughs> I mean, they, Tabellus was more they, supposed they, to be more ready than Matherin, but yes, very confident. They are they are different players, and they have shown some serious growth during the season, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think Dalen Terry has shown flashes, but he's not... He, he's shown some freshman size him, and honestly, he's not a much, enough of a threat to he score He might be better time. even off the bench, like because he on this lineup with the veterans that he has out there, it almost like he defers, and he's a really good passer. Yeah. He seems to relish in that role, and that's fine. Like You want players who are like that. But maybe if he had to be more of a focal point, I don't want to say a focal point, but the offense runs through him more with a second unit, maybe he flashes more, and that's fine. Like Miller knows what he can do, but just a thought. I mean, Honestly, I would kind of love to have him be the backup point guard in a weird way as like a, a tall point guard in spot minutes if he's not starting. You might see and that then, actually with Baker out now. Yeah, until, until you know, my new man crush, Kirk Carissa, is eligible. Because I, I think he can be a very highly effective facilitator. And honestly, I think he's most comfortable in that. He You know, I think you made fun of me, what, six months ago, and I was like, he's a poor man's Ben Simmons. I think that's what he is. He's a big point guard that doesn't actually try to score very much and doesn't have a good shot. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so far has been the case, which is not to say he can't be a fantastic player. Ben Simmons is, you know, one of the top young NBA players, right? He's the number and, one pick in the draft. Yeah, and super high value player. But right now, you know, you can't you can't put him on the court and expect him to be uh, scoring 15 points a game. 
due to due to his skill set or his approach or just what is the best use of him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're going to have a Kinjo be a point guard and then kind of experiment with some lineups, especially until Kirk Carissa comes in, you know, maybe we have uh, with Jamal Baker's injury, we have some more Tibet Gorner, you know, hashtag free Tibet. There it um, is. You know, if you have, well, think about if you had Tibet Gorner uh, spotting up in the corner and you have Dalen Terry as like a, a six, eight point guard in the reserve unit, that's, that's kind of intriguing. It, it, so, it sounds like it could work. And that's the, that's the fun part about this year's team is that they have those pieces even still. But you don't look at it and say losing – like when they lost Brandon Ashley those many years ago, it's like, ah, oh, geez. Like that was a team, and granted, they were still really, really damn good. But like you knew that was a crushing blow, and this isn't that team. Jamal Baker isn't Brandon Ashley, you know, on this team. Like it, it – when I say it doesn't matter, there's a lot of Arizona fans I'm sure probably feel that way. We still watch because we care, and you root for these players, and you want them to do well, and you want them to grow and become really good basketball players – if not for next year, just for themselves, because we want more Wildcats in the NBA and having success. And also, this team generally seems to like each other. They don't seem to have any bad attitudes or anything like that. So you do root for them. But it is it is different to watch a season and watch a team with that safety net of, yeah, even if they lose, it's fine. <laughs> that isn't usually the case. Usually there's reason to be upset because of seeding or just well, uh, because of seeding or because you don't think they're, well, that team... They lost that game. There's no way this team's anything more than a, you know, round of 32 team or anything like that. You know, we don't have that with this year's team. So that that's nice. Um, they do play Oregon State this week. They're going on the road. As far as we know, they're supposed to play Oregon State Thursday. I assume this podcast will post before that game. Oregon State, of course, not as good as, not as talented as USC or UCLA. So it's a winnable game with a revamped lineup and a revamped rotation. Um, the game after that was supposed to be against Oregon, which is historically, at least recently, always a fun one. Like not if you like Arizona winning, but Oregon's been one of the powers in the Pac-12, and you look forward to that game. Well, Oregon has a COVID issue, so they've already postponed that one. COVID's qualified for the postseason already. <laughs> oh, I'm sure COVID will be there. <laughs> COVID is not one of the last four in either. COVID got there. Oh, jeez. Top, top top seed in March sadness. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh man. Like I, I saw, I saw a tweet today from one of the Arizona State accounts because ASU was also supposed to play Oregon this week, and they're like, "Oh, tough! Another tough break for ASU." And I'm like, "Well, ASU's lost a lot of games because of their own COVID issues. I don't consider that a tough break for them. Like, obviously, COVID's a tough break for everybody who has to play. It's worse than a tough break for so many. It's a terrible, terrible thing. But in terms of college basketball, it's like I feel bad for like the U of A's who have seemingly done everything right and lost games because other schools have struggled. And not blaming other schools, other programs because it's hard." Like it may be irresponsible too, but it's definitely hard, if nothing else. But yeah, I mean, I mean, ASU is one point away uh, in the GCU game from losing five straight games. So maybe COVID isn't the biggest concern for their basketball outcome at the moment. Okay, and with that, we should probably take a break. <laughs> when we come back. Uh, Jed Fish is continuing to make some moves with that football program. Has people feeling pretty good about the future. Let's talk about it. Okay, we're back. And, you know, it seems like the last few weeks, well, there was a time during the offseason where it seemed like Arizona was always picking up commitments. Some of them even ended up signing with the school. (laughs) But since Jed Fish was hired, 
the good news kept coming. Guys coming back from the transfer portal, getting transfers just from other schools, getting commitments. Like Arizona's a more talented team now. The roster's more talented now than it was three weeks ago. I think that's fair. Uh, <laughs> Jed Fish, you know, recruiting starts at home, and that means pull guys out of the transfer portal, including guys that were had, you know, maybe even opted out that weren't guarantees to return, right? Um, and we've talked about the limitations of, I think, generally you see that 28 guys, no matter whether it's transfer or high school, is the maximum you can get in the new class. So do not underestimate the value of bringing those guys back. Well, J.B. Brown, Trevon Mason, Aaron Blackwell coming back. Uh, Jamari Joyner, Booby Curry, Mayjean Wright, which we're all very happy with, Stanley Berryhill, who had gone to the portal, had committed to Ball State, I believe, and then did not go to Ball State, ended up coming back to Arizona. And I'm sure there's more players. I think Bryce Wilma's coming back. Um, Josh McCauley is coming back. Yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> Anthony Pandy's coming back. If Backstreet's have... back. <laughs> all right. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Oh, man. You threw me off. I shouldn't have been surprised by that Backstreet Boys reference. No, you shouldn't have. Yet yet here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, and, you know, not just that, but I would argue recruiting coaches and staff to come to the the coaching staff, I think, has exceeded most people's expectations, right? Don Brown getting hired. um, You know, we're recording on what? What is today? The 12th on uh, Tuesday night? Yes. Yes. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm going to pronounce it the way I want to. Keith Dudzinski. If it's Dudzinski, it's not nearly as fun as Dudzinski because Dudzinski is a hell of a football name. A hell of just a regular name. <laughs> Fair. Um, who came, who is a an analyst, not a coach, but a not on the field coach, but an analyst at Michigan, worked with Don Brown, has also traveled with Don Brown in some form and capacity through his like last four or five jobs which if you're going to put in a complicated blitz scheme, having a linebackers coach that knows generally what you're trying to do, you know, don't underestimate that. That puts you ahead in the spring practice of making sure you're teaching the right concepts as early as possible. Um, you know, I, to your point, I think if you looked at the roster, the transfers, uh, you know, the, the, the commits we've gotten, the, the Notre Dame corner, yeah, getting Jason Harris, which was writing a wrong from the previous coaching staff. Um, there, it's been almost entirely good news, which is, a, <laughs> I mean, what do we do there? There's, you know, I, I think I joked that there was used a tasteless pun of the, there was a dead cat bounce when you hit rock bottom. Um, <laughs> so there was nowhere to go, but up when you lost 70 to seven in a winless season. Um, and you know, we talked about it. We've, I think I was maybe even more skeptical than you were, but I think the consensus was like, huh, with Jed Fish. But so far, so good. Um, I, you know, I think Ronnie might owe us some beer potentially I next year, so. assuming it happens. That'd be nice. <laughs> I, I hope so for a few reasons. <laughs> um, a, Arizona football would win. B, I like beer. And C, Ronnie would be buying it. Yeah, um, that's a, that's a just win, win, win right there. I, the one thing that's nice is you're supposed to have this optimism when you hire a new coach, like especially so when a new coach replaces a guy who went winless and the last memory you have of them was losing 70-7 to to ASU. Like, no matter who they hire, you should be like, all right, this is an improvement. Things are going in the right direction because there was nowhere to go but up. 
We didn't really have that feeling when Fish was hired. It was more of a either really angry or just kind of like, I guess we'll see. You know, you're either pissed off or indifferent. Like, indifferent was the most optimistic, happy take that pretty much every Arizona <laughs> fan had, right? Because yeah, that, or you're just like, oh, who cares anymore? Hey, Adam, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. So yeah. that could have been the worst take. Oh, fair, fair. But there weren't too many people who were like, yeah, Jed Fish, what a hire. This is going to be great. In fact, I don't know if I saw anybody who was like, other than Yogi Roth, you know, he, he was tweeting out about how great it was. When he talked to Bruce Feldman, seemed like he talked like it was a good hire. But fans and stuff, people who didn't know Jed Fish, weren't that excited. A few weeks later now, there's the, the vibe has changed. And he hasn't won any games. And we don't know some of the recruiting battles. We don't know who Isaiah Rutherford was considering. You know, Jason, like Harris... It was probably when he was transferring from Colorado. I think people were like, oh, yeah, he's coming to Arizona. Going to go play with his brother. Going to go, you know, play, get coached by Ricky Hunley. The family has a history. Like, that's riding around. He never – Arizona never should have lost him to Colorado in the first place. So getting him back, it's it's a win because it means they have faith in this coaching staff. Yes. But to me, when you bring back Stanley Berryhill, who did commit to another school, you go bring back Mejon Wright, who I assume, and I know we're high on him, a lot of people are, that he had offers to Murray Joyner. I'm sure could have gone elsewhere. Booby Curry, I'm surprised Memphis didn't have a spot for him. <laughs> you know, like these are guys who could have gone somewhere. And were those the best place? Like Grant can only end up at Memphis. Okay, cool. Good luck to him. You know, but to get all these guys back helps with the numbers. Just the count of players they have on the roster because they don't go against your scholarship count. And then some of these transfers could have gone elsewhere. You know, Rutherford was a four-star player when he went to Notre Dame. You know, you don't think he could have gone somewhere maybe – a little bit more prestigious than Arizona. <laughs> you shut your mouth, Adam. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Then they also got Isaiah Taylor, who's the son of Jason Taylor, who I guess also the son of Colin Cowherd's producer, who, like, Chet Fish, he was on Colin Cowherd's show, like, they're friends. You know, they got Anthony Simpson, who's an athlete from back east. You're like, okay, there's something. And then I will say what kind of has, I don't, I don't want to it impresses me, because this is a, it shouldn't not be this way. But then you start to see some of the offers Arizona has out there. Some of the players there, you know, you see the tweets now, oh, excited to be offered, blessed to be offered by Arizona, the pictures and all that on Twitter. But there's these five-star guys, these four-star guys, the ones where you're like, you may not get them, you probably won't get them, but you should at least be trying right now because maybe they look and say, hey, Jed Fish and this coaching staff that he's assembled, I could I could do that. That's a good spot for me. Like, But they're trying, and that's, that's important, at least right now. This is the time where you should be doing that. When Kevin Sumlin first got hired – those are the players like, hey, I'm Kevin Sumlin, come play for me. That's what he should have been doing. And it, either he tried or he tried or he didn't try. Either way, it didn't happen. So, like, Yoda would not have been impressed with any of what he did. You know? Like, uh, so I don't. That was not the way. No. <laughs> I am just crushing it tonight, though. But, but that's that buzz that you want to have, that you need to have when you hire a new coach. And it seems like not only does Fish have it with some of the players he's brought back from the portal and acquired via transfer and recruiting, but he's trying to build off of it, and that's important to me. Yeah, I think that's all fair and accurate. You know, Thanks. it's it's if you come in uh, to a winless program, right, uh, with a fan base that was, shall we say, skeptical at the beginning, and you're not willing to say, "Hey, I believe in myself in this program," to coming out of the gate. What is, you know, that doesn't speak well when you're going on the recruiting trail, right? So it's nice to see that confidence and that eagerness. And I think it helps 
to hire a fairly impressive staff to have those conversations and it gives more credibility with the balance of you know college experience and NFL connections um, to be able to to be able to make that pitch um, so you, you know you, you feel good about where Arizona's at right now you feel there's there's still some massive glaring holes let's not gloss over that right like no, there's a few like Ganell leaving and you know wither retrod uh, I tweeted that it was quite the power move for Louisiana Monroe to hire the the uh, father of a coveted recruit to get his commitment uh, as Richard went to be the OC and Rhett Rod followed him shockingly. You know, good for one him, would think, that's great. One, one would think them. that Rich, one would think Rich Rodriguez could afford to put his son not on scholarship at one of the programs <laughs> he's at. Um, you know, I'd like, you'd like to see uh, Clay Millen a, and maybe even a transfer to have some quarterback depth. Uh, Cause right now it's, it's pretty thin, right? Will Plummer, Kevin Doyle, right? I, I, is that is that all that's left? And I think Luke Ashworth is the the walk on, right? That might um, be oh, it. So that's that's a little that's a little frightening, um, but you got to imagine maybe both of those things happen with Clay Millen and maybe a transfer. There's been some rumors of some moderately large names to potentially transfer in. Sure. Uh, but you feel you feel better now than you did, and you sometimes you forget all of all those guys that opted out for Arizona this year. Some of those guys were pretty talented, or would have played at least important roles, especially yeah. in terms of providing depth. You know, Christian Young, J.B. Brown, some of the, like th- these were these were not inconsequential players, right? Um, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, it, it doesn't matter until we get on the field, but. I think to your point, we're feeling better. There's actually some buzz. There's some positivity. Jed Fish's, if Jed Fish's Twitter game translates to recruiting, uh, you know, there's going to be four and five stars here in no time. Yeah, well, right, let's take one more break. When we come back, though, a big reason why we have optimism is the coaching staff that Jed Fish did assemble. It now appears to be complete. Let's break it down a little bit. Welcome back. And when Jed Fish was named the head coach, we all knew it was like, okay, well, what kind of staff does he hire? That was always the thing because Kevin Sumlin was the big name, and then there's his staff like, oh, it's fine. It, it wasn't. It wasn't fine. And it was like, okay, who could Jed Fish with his connections at the NFL and the college level? He's been everywhere. You know, he should be able to bring in a good staff. Could he? Well, now we know that the staff is complete, and what people think of it, it's usually pretty good. Don Brown, defensive coordinator. Brennan Carroll, offensive coordinator, offensive line. Ricky Hundley and Chuck Cecil, defensive line and defensive backs, respectively. Jimmy Doherty passing game coordinator and quarterback, Scotty Graham, uh, running backs, Jordan Papau, or Pow Pow. I think I heard it Pow Pow. Either way, it's fun. Pow Pow. Yeah, that's great. He's tight ends. Kevin Cummings, receivers, Dwayne Walker, defensive backs. Uh, just got the strength and conditioning coach, too, Tyler Owens, who they brought in from Alabama. So the tweet about that was like the championship rings. And then I don't know if you saw Jed Fish, like when Arizona tweeted out the, their graphic for Tyler Owens, Jed Fish retweets, like not to up to, like, like upstage our wonderful graphics people, but I had to make an addition. He just put like, he just wrote 2020 national champion on it too. <laughs> like on the image, like it was really good. I, I appreciate the gumption it takes to tweet out the picture of like all those national championship rings. When you hire away somebody's assistant strength and conditioning, coach. <laughs> but he wasn't assistant to the strength and conditioning coach. So it means something it matters, but yeah, <laughs> Well, but just in name, though, he's an Alabama guy. He obviously has been around that program, he's an SEC program. And, yes, it's 
I mean, there, I think Brian Johnson was a strength and conditioning coach before, and people really liked him, and I don't think he did a bad job. But it's the impact of, like, oh, you got this guy from Alabama. You know, he's ready to have his run his own program now, strength and conditioning-wise, and he can bring some of that. He won't have the SEC athletes that he had at Alabama. But, like, he obviously knows what he's doing. And, like, that resume probably impresses people. The resume of a lot of these coaches, pretty much all these coaches, you're going to say, all right, that should get you into some living rooms, and that should help you. Yeah, I, you know, you think back to the hire date of Jed Fish and most of the fans that were most angry or indifferent, really, uh, most of them all were also the people that were like, no, we need like an in-house alumni guy, <laughs> you know, blah, 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 which I don't inherently agree with. But I think even those people that are most clamoring for an alumni would look at that staff and say, hey, what's the weak link on this coaching staff? It's probably Cecil and Hunley. <laughs> Which it's not entirely fair because they each have plenty of experience and they're just now in roles like Chuck Cecil hasn't had a chance to be a recruiter. Can he recruit? Like, I yep. think, I mean, those guys helped get totally Harris. Fair. You know, like they're going to be, I mean, their names, people know, like their parents know more than the players will, but that's what you need. Like Herm Edwards, these players that are going, they didn't, they don't know anything about Herm Edwards, but although I guess he was on TV, but their parents know who he is. <laughs> you know? Like that's how you get in the door. Jed, Jed Fish is going to tweet at the players and be like, send video clips of Ricky Hunley and Chuck Cecil with hashtag Ask Your Parents. Yeah, I mean that I wouldn't put it past him, but I mean it'd be kind of effective actually. But you're right in terms of I guess people think Brennan Carroll, who, Pete Carroll's son, coming from the Seahawks um, as the offensive line coach. But you read up and like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He's supposed to be a really good recruiter. Was like their recruiting coordinator for USC back in the day, which. USC recruited itself. You don't have to be you know, a whiz to be able to recruit USC, but he's been around. Knows the Pac-12 has been you know, the West Coast and everything, and also is an NFL name. He's been in those circles. Um, Hunley and Cecil are names who have coached. Doherty is supposed to be really – I mean, this, Scotty Graham's one of the biggest question marks. He's never been an on-field coach, but by all accounts, I mean, the guy never fumbled ever, so he's a running backs coach. That's nice if he can bring that to his team. But by all accounts, he's a really good guy, really good relationship guy. Like, to steal him from ASU is nice. I've seen nothing but positive things. Even from ASU, you'd be like, hey, like, we wish you all the best of luck all but once a year. <laughs> you know? Like, people love Scotty Graham. And then Jordan Pow Pow obviously has a reputation for the tight ends he's coached. Kevin Cummings, the receivers he's coached. And Dwayne Walker for cornerbacks, defensive backs. Like, he's got a reputation, too. Like, this is a really good staff. I, I was going to say Kevin Cummings and Dwayne Walker might be the two low-key biggest hires mm-hmm. on that staff. Um, Kevin, and for completely different reasons, right? Like Dwayne Walker has been around forever, has been a head coach. I'm pretty sure he's been a defensive coordinator, you know, as a cornerbacks coach, super experienced. I think he's, you know, 60 years old. He's been around for a while, but like he's a guy that has some credibility, right? Mm -hmm. And you have Kevin Cummings, who's kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum, but I think is a really great hire for some of the inverse reasons, like right? Like he's young, up and coming, supposedly could be a very great recruiter. Uh, showed that in, in in his past jobs, and I'm curious to see what he can do at a Power Five program. You know, it's it's hard to look at that knowing the budget that Jedfish had to work with and say that's not a close to best case scenario outcome, <laughs> right? Like, you know, there there's there's certainly risks, calculated gambles, and question marks there. Um, I think for probably half of them. But overall, they're like the kind of gambles and risks that you're willing to take at the positions generally that you're willing to take them at. You know, Dwayne Walker also was the corner coach, very experienced in a 
heavy blitzing uh, scheme that Don Brown's going to do, your cornerback play is essential to be strong, right? So if you have a really strong developer of talent there, do not underestimate that impact with the, with a the handful of young corners. And we look back la- about, I don't know if it was this time last year, when Arizona revamped their entire defensive coaching staff, like, okay, they got a lot of veterans, a lot of guys who are good teachers. And I tend to believe if those guys had more time, they would have been solid. Like, Paul yeah, Rhodes I, wasn't I actually, the issue. Andy Booth wasn't the issue. You know, like, they, they had yeah. a decent defensive coaching staff by last season, but it was too late. It was, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I actually think that was a pretty good staff. That was one of the better decisions someone had done. <laughs> it just didn't have enough, he didn't have enough rope to yeah. kind of let them do their thing, right? But like you said, Brett, in terms of what's the best case scenario, this would seem to be it. And it's just more of, it's like, okay, Jed Fish, when he got hired, there was that sense of, well, why did he get this job? You know, who did he know? Who made sure? And it's like, maybe that was the case. Maybe it wasn't. I've read a lot of conflicting stuff. I've heard a lot of conflicting stuff on who he knew and how he knew them. But you imagine, like, you, you see that he is, anytime he's interviewed, he's really good. Good on camera, good answering questions. His social media game is strong. You know, it's not just the, the gift that Kevin Summon would tweet out every time they got a recruit. His, his coaching staff, you have to believe that he was presented like, okay, what are you, what's your coaching staff going to look like? That's part of the interview process, right? And he probably said something like this, and you're like, okay, cool. And like, if this was the plan all along, you could say, I understand why you got the job. So it just lends a little bit more credibility to his being hired, seeing this staff. And then we've seen the staff, like Fish and his staff's early work right now, the early returns are positive. You know, they haven't won a game yet. They haven't landed a four or five star recruit, you know, right out of high school. They haven't gone head to head with some other power program and gotten them to Arizona yet. And I mean, I'm like, They've pulled in a couple four-star transfers. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, like right out of high school, but in, that's a little different. But like, they haven't done that yet. But unlike a few weeks ago, unlike a month ago, you could see a world where that might happen. And that's the most important thing. And with this staff that has experience, it has intrigue, it has talent, it has some recruiting chops, like you believe that maybe this could work out, which is the whole point of this offseason. It was never to be like, oh, the program's not going to turn around just because they hired Jed Fish. But if he can instill that belief and that confidence, the it's personal thing that all the players are tweeting, you know, he's doing like whatever it is. I mean, it was hard edge for Rich Rod. It was, I don't know what it was for someone. Uh, if he even had one. Careful. I, yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to let that one go by. <laughs> but just those, <laughs> those little things that probably don't matter, but when you're winning, you feel like they do. And when you're losing, you'll feel like you needed them. You know, like that mentality that Jed Fish is a grinder. Everyone they're getting, like they're going to be do playing, they're going to be playing their hardest. He's going to be coaching as hard as he can, which is what this job requires. So at least on the surface, from what we've been able to see, he does seem like a good fit for the job. But whether it'll pan out and become what we're all hoping it does, like we don't know yet. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, even early on when we were skeptical, we were talking about he seems like a guy, Jed Fish, that is persistent and a grinder but also has these connections. And so you can talk yourself again into that path to success, but it's, it's all just potential until you start to see it. Um, that being said, you can't win any games uh, in January, right? Um, there was a time until, where we and, thought they might. Well, might have been the better plan. <laughs> um, they would have been but, won as many games up to this point <laughs> as they ended up. So, <laughs> You know, t- 
but I think so far so good and honestly maybe even better than so good so far right like it's sure it's it's been even the biggest optimistic take of Jed Fish a few weeks ago I don't think I think we might even be slightly past the most optimistic take but it remains to be seen how that translates into full recruiting classes and ultimately on-field performance fair fair well We'll see what happens you know, with the rest of the program there because obviously it is the off season, but they still have a few more scholarships to fill and some interesting rumors out there who might be the ones who take them. But like I said, there's a lot more confidence in Fish now to be able to at least get the most out of this off season. And then, of course, we'll see what they can do the next month. Of course, it's, it's going to be really wonky just with the roster constructions for all of them. But, you know, we'll see. But you feel better about the situation now, which is the whole point of hiring a new coach is you want to feel better at least until the games start, because that's when you really start to find out things. But, you know, make sure, everyone, thank you for listening. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. Download and subscribe to the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere you get your podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, all the, all the stuff. That good? Like, is that? Yeah, I think that, I think smash that subscribe button. Fantastic. <laughs> that's what that's what the kids say. I, I, hello, fellow kids. <laughs> but <laughs> everyone, thank again. Thank you for listening. Make sure you're staying safe out there. You know, there's a lot going on in the world and the country, and you know, we sports are still happening. We're getting through this the best way we can, but we want to make sure we're all there out the other side of this one. So, you know, stay safe. We'll catch you again next week. And until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.